Hey, welcome to episode eight of the Learning to Preach podcast. In this episode, we want to talk about missional preaching. How do you preach missionally? What does that word even mean? The word missional gets thrown around all over the place by all kinds of different people, meaning all kinds of different things. What do we mean when we talk about missional or missionary preaching? I think this is actually one of the places where we need a lot more thought and intentionality. And let me explain why. Because for those of us who value a sort of reformedish, gospel-driven preaching, uh, we have a lot of resources to look to in church history. We have heroes like Charles Spurgeon or like John Calvin or like Jonathan Edwards. There are some great preachers in that stream, and that's a stream that's always valued good preaching. But as I've learned from people like Charles Spurgeon, as I go read Spurgeon's sermons, here's what resonates with me. London in the 1800s is a place steeped in Christendom. Spurgeon is preaching to a church full of people who know the stories of the Bible, who are very biblically literate, who might not be converted, might not understand what it means to be born again, but they do have a very religious undercurrent in their life and in their culture. That is not the world we live in anymore, and that's why we kind of have to learn again how to preach missionally, because what Spurgeon was doing was, his mission was a bunch of people who are Christianized but not converted. And so how he preached to those people looks radically different from how we need to preach in a 21st century, de-churched, post-Christian world. Uh, I was really provoked on sabbatical uh, in 2019 when Tim Keller tweeted this, in 2000 years, we've never learned how to do mission in a place that was post-Christian rather than pre-Christian. If you're in ministry, it's going to take all of your life to help the church figure out how to do this. That resonated with me because that's what I feel about preaching. I'm not sure how to preach in a post-Christian world, but I'm trying to do my best to give my life to figuring it out. And I hope that this part of this podcast helps you and helps us gain a little bit of traction in that category. So um, here's the key concept that I want to lay out for you as we think about missional preaching. When I say missional, I just mean preaching that connects not just to churched people, not just to people who already embrace the gospel, but to unchurched, dechurched, skeptical, critical, post-Christian people. People who aren't sure that they believe the gospel, who aren't even sure it's worth thinking about, but who might be somewhat intrigued by it or show up at your church because they have a friend or a family member who invited them. So I'm speaking about how do you preach as a missionary to your city? And the key concept I think we need to embrace is simply this. Uh, It's from a a title of a Charles Taylor book that's also, uh, Jamie Smith has done a lot of work on this. We need to embrace the fact that we live in a secular age. That what we mean when we talk about being post-Christian is that secularism is sort of an undercurrent of the, the intellectual climate that we live in. We don't live anymore in a world with Christian assumptions. And here's what James K. Smith and Charles Taylor mean when they use this phrase. What they mean is, though everyone in society is cross-pressured. No one is certain of what they think about everything in life. Increasingly, what you find is that Christian believers are haunted by doubt and questions. And unbelievers are haunted by the possibility that the Christian faith is true and that the gospel has something meaningful to say. 
Uh, we don't live in a world where there's clean categories of believer, unbeliever, Christian, atheist, uh, you know, theist, agnostic. We now live in a world where all of us sort of feel this, this secular veneer that we live within, and, and, and none of us are quite sure that we have the angle, the corner on reality. Understanding that is crucial to understanding how to preach missionally in a post-Christian world. It goes back to some things we've said in this podcast before, one of which is you don't just tack the gospel on at the end. We don't just live in a world where people need to know you're a sinner, you need to be forgiven by Jesus, Jesus died for your sins, you need to trust in him. Yes, those things are all true, but that doesn't have the resonance that it did in a Christianized society where everybody had sort of an intuitive understanding of conviction of sin and of their need for a savior. We live in a world now where the categories that resonate with us much more are categories of longing, categories of questioning, categories of being haunted by something we're not sure how to put words to, and categories of idolatry, the things we give ourselves to and place all of our hope for ultimate meaning in only to find that they let us down and they don't quite fulfill. These are the categories that have to find their way into our preaching if it's going to be effectively missional. So the simple key to missional preaching, whether you're a church planter or you've been preaching for decades, is this. You have got to speak to your city like your city is in the room. You've got to preach like the people in your neighborhood are actually present in the room. Even when you're planting a church and you're talking to 40 people who you know, and you know that not a single one of them is an, a skeptic or an unbeliever, you still have to talk as though those people are in the room. Why? Because that's how the neighborhood finds its way into the room. Here's what I can tell you for certain. In a secular age that's haunted and cross-pressured where everybody's sort of not quite sure what they think, I'm not bringing my non-Christian friend into a church where they feel like they're the odd person in the room and the outsider that no one understands where they're coming from. But I absolutely will bring them into a church gathering where I know the person up there preaching is gonna name some of the things they're questioning and longing for and haunted by and can resonate with where they're at in their story. So even if you're a church planter with 40 people in the room, the more you speak like your city is in the room, the more those 40 people start to feel comfortable bringing people into the room who, who might not fit, quote-unquote, in the room in the terms of already being believers in the Christian gospel or embracing the Christian story. So missional preaching, quite simply, is speaking uh, like the city is present, engaging the doubts, the questions, the uncertainties, the assumptions that people in your city have. This is getting easier and easier for us, or for, for me, I will say, because... I'm more convinced that there's less difference than we think between Christians and non-Christians. Because of the fact that we live in a secular age, all of us are haunted by doubt and unbelief and uncertainty. All of us have questions. Even those of us who are really committed to the scriptures and to the gospel wonder if God is good, why is there evil in the world? Um, if God means for my life to have meaning, why is there so much suffering? Why am I experiencing so much loneliness? All of these questions are present for every human being. And simply to name them, is a step toward missionary preaching. So let me give you three uh, best practices in this category, and then we're gonna talk about how we've just tried to do this as best we can. And again, this podcast is about learning to preach, and so we're in no way saying we figured out how to do this. We're just saying, oh, we try. We try to preach to our city as best we can. Three best practices. Number one, assume non-Christians are in the room and speak to them. What I mean there is beyond just naming longings, just saying, hey, 
Some of you are in the room today and you're not yet convinced of the Christian gospel. I'm really glad you're here. I hope you'll listen. Just that kind of speaking, calling, speaking directly to people who are not yet convinced is a very winsome way for them to feel like, oh, I'm welcome in the room. Because every person I know who's not been in church for a while or who's never set foot in church assumes if I come in here, I'll probably feel like an outsider. And so the more you can make them feel like, hey, you're not an outsider. We're glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. And I'm speaking. I'm developing this sermon with you in mind. They feel welcomed into the conversation. Best practice number one, speak to non-Christians as though they're in the room, even if you're not sure they are. Number two, avoid us and them categories in your preaching. Again, this goes back to old Christendom assumptions where it's sort of us the believers and them the unbelievers, us the theists and them the atheists. Anytime you set up an us-them dynamic in your preaching, instead of inviting people in, you're building walls and creating hostility whether you intend to or not. Most of us, because of our best intentions, don't ever want to create walls, but using categories of us and them sometimes does that. Now, you might be preaching a text where there's a pretty clear difference. Like I'm thinking of a text like 1 John, right? Do not love the world or the things in the world, uh, right? There's a need to draw some clear distinctions between the kingdom of God and the world. You can preach that text in a way that doesn't put people in the room in categories of us and them. And you've got to figure out how to do that in order to be an effective missionary in your context. I had a friend that sent me a sermon recently that he was preaching in another church in town. It was a great sermon. It was, it was basically a sermon on Romans 1 about how there's no such thing as an atheist because Romans 1 says, though we know God, we suppress the truth in unbelief. And so he was preaching on this whole dynamic of how human beings suppress the truth in unrighteousness, that it's not true that we don't know if there's a God. We do know. We just don't want to reckon with it. It was a brilliant sermon. The problem was he was preaching as though everybody in the room already agreed with his assumptions. And so the sermon came across very much like those people out there who say they're atheists, we can't really take their word for it. And the feedback I gave him was real simple. It was just like, hey, preach as though some of those people are actually in the room. Assume there's some atheists sitting in the room as you're preaching so that you don't create this dynamic of us in here and them out there. But so that the people in the room who actually are wrestling with the very questions you're talking about feel like you're drawing them in in how you preach the sermon. So, avoid us them. Here's the third best practice. Invite conversation and dialogue however you can. Uh, maybe that's through uh, a skeptics class. Maybe it's through uh, inviting people to email you after the sermon. Maybe it's through just following up and creating connections. As a preacher, here's what I can tell you. Uh, if you create and invite dialogue, if you invite feedback, if you invite people, hey, if you're skeptical, if you're critical, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to know how I can uh, more effectively engage the questions you have. Those people will feel welcomed to come and talk to you. I know this because I've been doing that for years as, as, as faithfully as I can. And those people seem to feel comfortable coming to me and saying, hey, here's my frustration with Christianity. Here's where I'm not convinced. Here's the questions I have about the Bible. Here's where my doubts are unanswered still, despite what you're saying. You have to create a feedback loop where people who are skeptical, critical, unsure, uncertain, and unbelieving feel like they can ask questions. They can process those things in community. Maybe you do this through the small groups ministry in your church, but I'm saying as a preacher, it kind of has to have a personal connection to it. You, the preacher, the one communicating, have to welcome feedback from those who disagree with you and who don't think like you. And that's one of the most effective ways to be a, a good missionary in your city. 
One of the funnest experiences I've had in all my years of ministry in Omaha, Nebraska, is when I got invited to speak at the Midwest Free Thought Summit, which was a room full of atheists and me. And they wanted me to be on a panel and just to ask all their questions about why Christians are so weird, awkward, obnoxious, frustrating. It was one of the funnest things I've ever done. And I got that invitation simply because I built a friendship with someone who was a secularist and who was part of that community. She felt like, man, you're a pastor, but I feel like you're approachable. Would you come and just let us ask you questions? Those are the kinds of relationships you'll find yourself building if you're able to do the best you can to preach as a missionary in your city. And that's, the, that's what you want. What you want is for your city to feel like, I might not agree with the gospel you preach, but I kind of like you. And I'm kind of intrigued by your, your ability to name things that I'm actually thinking about. I might not agree with your answer to them yet, but I'm intrigued that you're willing to talk about them. Um, so those are some real simple best practices on how to do your best to preach missionally and to be a good missionary in your city. All right, guys, let's talk about how, what have we learned and as we've tried to inhabit this as best we can, what else do we need to sort of add to the equation here? I think one aspect of this that's been helpful for me is the pulpit is a means of discipleship is something we talk about a lot. So I think the things you're naming are ways that you are intuitively able to then equip the people in the room, whether there's actually Christians or not, or non-Christians or not in that room, is, hey, here's how you have these conversations. So you're able to, as the preacher, model, here, here's how to engage with doubts and skepticism, here's the good questions to ask. Like you're, you're able to demonstrate that dialogue without even having to have the dialogue. So it's, uh, it's been really helpful, I think, for, for me personally, especially. I found it particularly helpful to invite the congregation and skeptics who might be present into my own struggle with doubt and unbelief to just communicate, I've been a Christian since I was 17, and I still have lingering doubts. I still have questions that are unanswered. I still have uh, points of struggle and concern, and I'm very much still in process in that regard. And to just be able to communicate the way that gospel brings hope and life and clarity to me, um, kind of inviting people into that, I think, disarms them in a way that um, begins to make them more receptive to the way the gospel could speak into their story too. Yeah, not only I think disarms the room for non-Christians who are entering in, but it also gives Christians permission to be honest about where they're at, which yeah. then makes them, I think, even more receptive for gospel renewal yeah. um, in, in ways where if you feel like as a Christian you're walking in, you have to have all your questions answered, all of your doubts dealt with, you almost are entering with a facade that's hard to break through. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just sure I, I got this from Tim Keller, but he talks about the fact that every sermon has a text, a context, and what he calls a subtext. The text is the text of Scripture you're working with. The context is the people or situation you're preaching to. He says the subtext is what the preacher's life says without knowing that it's saying that, or what the culture of the church says without knowing that it's saying that. And he talks about, the, for instance, some churches have a subtext of, aren't we great for believing what we believe? And he says, no preacher would ever say that verbally, but you can feel it in the ethos of how the preacher communicates and how the congregation responds. The subtext is, aren't we great for believing this and aren't people dumb who don't believe this? And if that's your subtext, you will never be a good missionary. You're saying no non-Christian will ever find their way in the room. You know why? Because they can read that subtext and go, yeah, I'm not interested in that. That sounds a lot like social media, and a lot like politics and like a lot of other things that make me feel like no one cares what I think. 
So understanding, paying attention as a preacher to the subtext of what I'm saying. This has been really helpful for me. I even have, um, we, we have people in our church who just have good, wise ears, and I, I give them freedom to come to, hey, tell me what subtext you feel like are present in my preaching. Um, you know, as an example of that, some of the feedback I've gotten is, hey, you're a married guy with kids. That's a lot of the stories you tell. I'm a single person. The subtext I feel here sometimes is like, I'm, I'm, my life doesn't matter to the preaching here. Well, I certainly don't want to communicate that, so I need to be aware of that. I've also gotten feedback of, hey, you're a man, I'm a woman. A lot of your illustrations are, have to do with your life as a man. What about those of us who are women, and how can you value our voice in the stories that you tell and make sure that your illustrations take that into account? So there's all kinds of subtext that are present, whether we mean them to be or not, and paying attention to them and being aware of them is half the battle of missional preaching. So the more aware we can be of what the subtext is of our pulpit and of our church, the better we can do at making sure that we're aware of that subtext and minimizing its tendency to create walls. I think another thing to add, too, is this, along with what you're saying, Bob, is not assuming everybody in the room knows all the words that you're saying and what they mean. So not without overdoing it, but explaining you yes. know, big theological words, if you're going to use them, not just to assume I can throw out atonement or substitution or whatever, and just assuming everyone's on the same page. Because those people that are less familiar or this is their first time there, they have no clue what you're talking about. And now they're spending the next five minutes trying to figure out what that word means instead of being engaged with what you're yes. saying. Tim Keller calls that, calls that discourse in the vernacular. Use the language of your city that people actually use. My friend Matt Cruz says, I want to preach like a Bostonian because people in Boston talk weird. I want them to feel like I get their world and I talk like the guys at their workplace talk. That's not going to resonate in San Francisco or in Dallas, but man, in Boston, I want to talk like Boston. It seems like for, the, uh, for maybe the more advanced preacher, you're... A lot of this is happening almost intuitively. You're kind of mindful of the subtext for more of the novice preacher. I remember David Helm telling us in a workshop one time, like, hey, you just you need to make sure at some point in your sermon you directly address non-Christians in the room, whether it's an appeal, whether it's an acknowledgement. But there's something about like actually just starting to speak to them yeah. really goes a long way. Bob, can you speak briefly to somebody who's maybe in a context where um, the city still very much feels like it's coming out of Christendom? Yeah. It's already left Christendom, but it hasn't yet fully arrived at it's a secular, secular post-Christian yeah. world. It's somewhere in between, and it's changing. Yeah. What would you say to somebody who's pastoring in that context where they're not really quite in both worlds? That's the nature of a lot of places in America still, although they're, they're waning uh, and I just think in those places, you have to preach the gospel against moralism. You have to tell people how being a nice, good person is different from being a Christian. Um, you don't need to speak as much to secular unbelief, doubt, confusion, and skepticism as much as you probably need to speak to the tendency to just kind of want to be a nice person and have it be okay there. Um, so I think in general, places that tend to still be Christianized, like the, home, the, the, the hometown where my grandparents and my parents grew up, uh, it, it's just kind of like a nice Midwestern place, just good, hardworking people. They're, they're not hostile toward God or Christians. They just aren't convinced that Jesus has anything super meaningful to connect to their actual life. And, and again, those are the things you need to name in a context like that. You need to say, hey, in this context, we're not 
you know, we don't smoke marijuana in Muskogee, to, to quote a Hank Williams song, right? It's, it's maybe our issue isn't that we're the younger brother rebels. Maybe our issue is we just think we're really great, hardworking, deserving people who don't need much grace from God. Whatever the defeater beliefs are in the context you're preaching in, you've got to learn how to name those and speak the gospel to those. That really reminds me of, I think, what Tim Keller says about avoiding the ditches of being able to speak to both the religious and the irreligious and how the gospel saves us from both unrighteousness and from self-righteousness. Yes. Like how the gospel is really something different altogether, yeah. I think, has been really helpful to me because I, I pastored in a small town. I pastored in a context that was kind of in between. And it's hard to figure that out, but just having that category of it's altogether different than what either thing has to offer, I think, is really, really helpful too. Yeah, in our, in our foundations class, we talk about the gospel as a third way. You know, and I don't know if I got that language from Keller or if that's just my way of phrasing what he says, but it's that whole idea of there's irreligion, there's religion, the gospel is something different from both. Let's help people see how it's different from both. Another thing we talk about in the foundations class is Babylon versus Jerusalem, that whole dichotomy of mm -hmm. Jerusalem is the city where everything's religious, it, religious culture is kind of the norm. People know what's going on. People know the systems and the structures to it, whereas Babylon you're in exile, so there's that element of, okay, I'm not going to assume anything here. Everything's on the table, and I have to be open to, um, to speak in a way that's meaningful and understa understandable. Yes. I will also say this. I, I think my, just as a concluding insight on missional preaching, um, I think we have to draw a careful line here that what we're after is not necessary. We want to be winsome, but we're not after... Um, people who might be hostile to Christianity thinking we're great. We want to faithfully represent Jesus. Jesus was a winsome person. But the gospel does have some level of challenge and offense. And so what we're not saying with missional preaching is remove any offense to the gospel. What we're saying is make sure that the thing people are offended by is actually the claims of Jesus and not the subtext or culture of your church, your inability to connect with them as a preacher. Uh, let's, let's preach in a way that holds forth the gospel, but in, a, in a, as winsome and charitable way as, a way as we can that connects with people's real longings and concerns. So I hope those insights are helpful in helping you think about how to be a better missionary from the pulpit. As Kevin reminded us uh, earlier in this episode, the pulpit's the primary place of disciple-making in your church. It's the most public thing people see. Even non-Christians in your city, if they go to a website, they can probably listen to a sermon or watch a sermon. They're going to say, what are you communicating here? And so the pulpit's a primary place to think about how do you be, live as a faithful, effective missionary. I hope this has been helpful to you in that. Uh, we'll see you next time for the next episode.